Hey everybody, this is Alex and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. First off, if you have listened to my interview with Cosplay Fiend from TikTok, thank you so much. If you haven't, I really encourage you to go watch, go listen to it because if you like this show on a regular basis, then you'll really like that episode because Cosplay Fiend is someone who started creating on TikTok really because he saw the absence of representation of anime from the time period from that from the time period that he and I both got into anime and one of the reasons why I reached out to him is because all of his actual anime that nobody that nobody talks about videos always featured shows that if I hadn't seen were coming out that if I hadn't seen and I've seen a lot of them um were coming out in that same in in the time period when I was first getting into anime, and when I was, when I was much earlier in my fandom, and it was just, it was a really interesting and fun conversation. So, um, it's a lot longer than a normal um, Sunday edition, but I encourage you to go check it out because the reason it's so long, it's so long, is because there's a lot there, and it's a lot of fun. So um, definitely, if you haven't checked that out, go do that. But it's a it's a podcast right before this one in the podcast feed and whatever podcast player you're using to listen to me right now. But that said, let's get into a little bit of history with what we're talking about today, and that is Otaku No Video. Now, if you're not familiar with kind of the, the, the history of Studio Gainax, then this, this is a good primer to it, but it is certainly in no way necessarily fucking gospel. But basically, many animation studios look at animation as a business. So when you see a studio like Studio Ghibli, Studio Ghibli makes a lot of its money, not necessarily off of its theatrical releases, but it makes a lot of it off of its merchandise. So if you want a um, figurine of Lady Eboshi from Princess Mononoke, which I deeply do, but I am also not made of money, and I have things that I would prefer more. But if you, say, want a figurine of Lady Eboshi from Prince of Monoki, that will run you about 500 US dollars if you buy it from Studio Ghibli. And it's this beautiful, immaculate, like, on a whole other level from the kind of 30 to the kind of, like, 25 to $150 range of statues that you get otherwise. 
It's, I've seen the thing, it's beautiful. But the reason why Studio Ghibli can do that and they can make that much money is because they, when they make a film, they own the film rights and they own the merchandising rights for that film. And this extends to things like House, even things that are clearly adaptations like House Moving Castle or God forbid, I don't know why they would make anything out of this, Tales for Mercy. But the... So that's generally the pipeline and the way that animation studios tend to make money. Is that they retain the rights all the way down the chain. Um, and I have a reason why I'm talking about this specifically, I promise. I, and it pertains to Otaku no Video and Gainax as a whole. What's interesting about Gainax is Gainax managed to produce some of, two, at the very least two, if not, I would argue three, anime that were like watershed moments for the kind of, for the genre of anime that they were in. And those three were Evangelion. Evangelion had it reshaped the way anime was, period, but it very much reshaped the way the giant robot genre was looked at. Um, so there's that show. There's FLCL, which is this extremely off-the-wall, very experimental, cult hit of a show that, like, is a foundation point for a whole lot of otaku my age um and part of that is because it was part of like the adult swim universe that we swam around in late at night um and it was also so strange and so connected to like punk rock and like off the wall weird modernist art but the um, last one is one you probably don't think about all that often, and that is Kano, also known as His and Her Circumstances. And if you look at all three of those shows, they're all very fucking different. And you can imagine someone who would watch His and Her Circumstances who has no interest in FLCL or Evangelion. You can imagine any of the three of those, but you can also imagine that someone watches all of those and has just as good a time watching all of those. But the thing that Gainax ultimately did was they produced seriously popular shows that they had the rights to that they, they could merchandise out. And here's where I want to start talking about Otaku no Video, the reason we're all here. Otaku no Video is the story of a, like, of this college of, I think when you meet him, he's a college freshman. Um, let me pull up his name because it sounds weird. But um, the, name, the names in this show are not that important. It's kind of who and what they represent. If that makes any sense? Because this is, this is a show that is about... Not only anime fandom, not only being a, an otaku, but the uh, and not even being otaku, being kind of just a nerd. Uh, because to be an otaku is basically to be a, like hyper focused nerd, but in terms of largely anime. Although you can be a train otaku, you can be a um, you could be like a boat otaku or a military otaku. And the the best way to compare that is like the equivalent of being a nerd. It's part of the reason why um, anime conventions in America, at least, grew out of sci-fi conventions. Because th those kinds of fans already exist in sci in, largely in sci-fi conventions. And, um,
the so otaku no video is largely about um it it has several tracks it has this very fantastical track where especially for the two main characters stuff just cut the main cast stuff just kind of works out for them because of but they also do a good job of showing through a bunch of montages the character's work ethic so like they don't just say like oh they're gonna do this and then of course they're fabulously successful they show like they show both times that i find this interesting the female members of the cast like slaving to like finish animation or finish um garage kit designs and then they also show um the main character um you know struggling with painting cells and struggling with coloring artwork and it's it 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 shows really clearly that oftentimes and I I appreciate this as somebody who interacts with more with more quote unquote normies than otaku. People have a perception of a lot of culture, especially nerd culture, as being very solitary. A, a, a lot of nerd culture being very solitary, being something that you are you are kind of like experiencing on a personal level with only yourself. And that's because oftentimes, you know, anime fans lock themselves in a room and just watch binge watch anime for like a weekend. That's not uncommon. I've done it. I when I was a teenager, I endeavored and succeeded in watching all 112 episodes of, or I don't think all, because I don't think that's technically physically possible. Um, all 112 episodes, or a fair amount of them, actually I think it was a four-day weekend, of Yu Hakusho. And I just like, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna burn this bitch down. I'm just gonna take, just gonna pour it all in my head. And that was a lot of fun. And like, you asked members of my family and they were like, what the fuck? Why would you do that? You asked my friends, especially my, like, my group of otaku anime friends. And they'd be like, absolutely. Why wouldn't Alex do that? That makes so much sense. That, that's awesome. That's so much fun. And the thing that this that Otaku no video really shows that's really amazing and that any good kind of media about any kind of good media about fandom needs to show or else it's just not getting it right is it shows community and it shows an opportunity for community and it shows closeness through that community that usually isn't reached in other ways by that person. So, um, the main character, Ken, um, Ken, um, Ken Kubo, or Kubo Ken, starts out this show as a pretty stock standard, um, Japanese college student and he's in the tennis club and he's really into tennis and, but it you get this sense that he's not really close to many people but he showed to have a girlfriend and they and, but the interesting thing about his girlfriend and his relationship is that they always it's always framed as being separate from everything else in his life and Um, that's important because he, he's out hanging out with his friends and you see him not really, you see him not really, um, connecting to, um, you see him not really connecting to, um, 
the kind of like the kind of conversation he's in, he's engaged, but he's not really like it's not exciting. And then he runs, and then he like takes a separate elevator <clears throat> because um, the tennis club is going to go to continue drinking, and he's just like, I, I gotta go home. I'm I'm done. And he takes a separate elevator. He gets a different elevator, and he gets an elevator with. The like anime research club, basically, by mistake. Like he gets in the elevator, and then they all get in the elevator after him. And he sees a um an old friend of his from high school, a guy named Tanaka. And it's not necessarily shown, and it might be shown in I watched the theatrical version, um, but it might be shown in the proper OVA episodic version. Um, that what happens is, like, he, he is reacquainted with Tanaka, and they, be, and they were friends, they become fast friends again, and he starts to discover, you know, the world of anime and the world of anime fandom, and he starts to, you know, be pulled in by it because he, he's genuinely interested in it. And that's the same thing that happened to all of us, anybody listening to this podcast. If you listen to this podcast, I'm just going to assume that you're lost cause. You're in it. You're, you're in it too, bud. Like we all, we all nerds. We ain't coming back from this. But what happens is gradually, as he starts to change, as he starts to you know be the dude wearing the anime graphic tee with his t-shirt tucked into his belt. And you can see, like, his, like, the, his, like, pouch of a stomach because he's not playing tennis. Is that, A, the world looks at him differently. And, B, his girlfriend, um, whose name is, I think, Yoshiko, also looks at him differently. And she is, like, She's worried about him, and she's worried about his life choices. Because the other thing you should know is that this takes place in the late seventies to early to like mid nineties, and back then, anime was not like a anime was not what it is now. So even when I was in high school in the early two thousands, anime was barely fucking cool. And when I was in, like, middle school and elementary school, I was a weird kid for how much I was into anime. And, and, and even, even before that, it was, like, I was weird for how much I liked anime. And in Japan... Otaku looked at, like that kind of hyper obsessed, the kind of like hyper obsessive, hyper focused fan culture that is that's not unsurprising here, but is pretty widespread here because of things like Marvel and DC and the com the kind of comic book culture we've always had is um. Is much more acceptable. Like, everybody goes to see Marvel movies. Everybody goes to see the DC movies, even though they're bad. And that's so true to the extent that um, one of the big memeable pieces of comic book news this week was that Batman doesn't go down on people. Batman doesn't... Batman doesn't pleasure his girlfriends, orally. So to speak. And... The reason, like, everybody's just, like, what, and the, like, person who gave this answer was talking to, was arguing with the producer of Harley Quinn season three, and he's, like, he's trying to explain, like, superheroes don't do that, but what he probably meant is, we don't, we don't think of anything about Batman in that way. 
unless the story absolutely demands it. Because the more we sexualize Batman, the more he comes out of the realm of like the public and being okay and being quote unquote kid friendly, although he certainly fucking isn't. And being being a character that can be viewed by everyone in some way. And, you know, like, the long and short of it is that Western animation and Western comics took a very different, um, took a radically different path than Japanese animation and Japanese comics did. You know, Japanese comics have always had things like arrow manga, hentai, you know, hentai games, games where, like, you play solitaire to undress the girl kind of thing since the 80s. That stuff has been largely kept away from the main event of um, of comic books. Even look at something like um, Harley Quinn, the, the Harley Quinn, the, the Harley Quinn uh, cartoon, or even the Harley Quinn movie. Harley Quinn has been, like, a super-sexualized thing since she was introduced in Batman the Animated Series. She is, like, vi- just, like, very much sexualized constantly. Especially once they put Margot Robbie in, like, jean short shorts and, uh, like, crop top in the Suicide Squad. They lead all the way the fuck into that thing. But even in even in the even in the most sexualized moments, they really don't show her or say Poison Ivy in that show having sex. From what it sounds like, they may just attempt to go there. And that's in season three, which would be kind of great. Um, and that's because they want that character to be, to still be accessible to like young punk girls in middle school or in elementary school or whatever. So they're very careful about how they guide the brand of that character. And she can be edgy, but not so edgy that it's like something like Deadpool, where they have like a like three minute long sex montage in the middle of like I think Deadpool two. I actually I think both Deadpool two and one. Um. So when given that, and you have a whole bunch of people who don't. Who don't um, understand what manga and anime is on a whole, and what otaku culture is on a whole, and the only things they know are the worst things that bubble to the surface. You get a whole different opinion of that, of what it means when your boyfriend is falling. It's like falling in with that friend group and, like, getting into, like, the otaku lifestyle. If you look at, you know, I'm a, I'm a total anime nerd. I run a podcast twice a week, twice, two to three times a week about anime, for God's sakes. I, you know, I have a huge figure collection exclusively of female figures. Um, because as I said to my friend Lauren, hi Lauren if you're listening to this, I refuse to be the guy with 19 Gokus. I just refuse. But I also, you know, I have been all over the world. I have a education. I have a, you know, I have a college degree in graphic design. I have real skills and I exist in the world as a whole person. I'm not just like a, like, you know, weird nerd in a basement or an attic in my case. That is sometimes what I am, but it's not all that I am. And what, but what 
Otaku no video wants to be about is it wants to be about how that nerdiness, how that like focus and that nerdiness and that dedication to the craft of being a fan, which is a real thing. If you ever cosplayed, you know this. If you, you know, build models, if you, there's all kinds of active crafts that are part of being a fan. And they get into this, they get into this pretty um, active craft and active um, artistic pursuits that are part of being a fan. You know, fan comics, you know, writing about the medium, um, fan, fan animations, the garage kits, which they get into in this, are all part of being a, a active fan. And there is a real lineage, even in American, like, otaku culture, of being an active fan. Oftentimes, you know, fans contribute to message boards or they do, or they make models and post them online. Collecting is its own, like, weird art form in terms of anime figures. I don't just do a podcast when we're allowed to see each other, like, be in an auditorium. I throw unnervingly well-attended, like, stunningly well-attended um, anime panels at conventions in New York City, you know, it's, there is an active participation in a community that exists as a hardcore fan of anything, not just anime. Like, if you're really into Star Trek, there are tons of other people really into Star Trek who are, like, ready to talk about it. Um, I have a friend who's really into true crime, and she is, like, going to London I hope I hope I convinced her to do that. She wants to go to London to go to a true crime convention. So a thing that a thing that people from the outside looking in don't understand about, you know, re, about fandom is that once you're in a fandom, you're in a community. This is one of the things that Reddit is really excellent for. So I, and I talked about this on the on a Sunday edition. I got way into 3D printing. I have a resin printer and I have a filament printer and I'm like off to the fucking races. There's a whole community of people who are all about 3D printing on Reddit. And it's fun. People congratulate each other on getting like a new printer. People, you know, post questions and give answers. It's great. And it makes you feel like you're doing something that's connected to other people doing the same thing. Um, you see this also in like in Marvel fandom, in DC fandom, in like fandom around specific condoms, um, comics, not condoms, um, <laughs> um, like Scott Pilgrim or like any, or like any of that stuff. And it's one of the reasons why, you know. Comic cons and anime conventions and live stuff is so well attended. It's because that's the moment when we all get to come out from behind our TVs and see each other and have a common experience and walk around knowing, like, oh, I'm not the only one. This feels really good. And, you know. Oftentimes, that's a lot of what of what fandom at its core is actually about. So, what Otaku no Video seeks to do is seek to tell the story first of um, Gainax founding, and then it seeks to push it further. And I don't know enough about Gainax's founding to really know this, so I don't know what's fantasy and what's fiction, but you can kind of get a good idea just because they make it fairly clear. Um, so in reality, Studio Gainax got started doing these um, 
animations for um, a sci-fi convention called, I think it's called Daikon. And if you've ever seen a bunny girl surfing on a um, Daikon radish through the sky, um, making a whole, with a, with an animation of a whole bunch of copyright violations, that's one of the Daikon animations. And those, those were done by, um, those were done by Studio Gainax as like their first project and them just saying fucking fuck it and throwing it to the wind. And like and going hard on it. Where this starts is it starts with Ken Kubo and Tanaka and that cat and a whole cast of characters which grows a little over time who ultimately start a company called Grand Prix. Or Grand Prix, or whatever you want to call it. And that's a company that produces plastic models. And they produce um, what are called garage kits. Which if you... Most... Um, most... Animates... Most animates... Um, figures that we're... That we're... Um, familiar with... Come pre-assembled... All in one piece, and basically all you gotta do is stick it to the base. It's that. But there is a second kind of model kit that you used to see more of um, in public in publications when there were anime magazines everywhere, um, and that's garage kits. And garage kits are these hardcore unpainted plastic. The best, like, equivalent to a garage kit I can give you is when you buy a Gundam. When you buy a Gundam kit, you're buying a pre-paint a pre-painted um garage kit basically that you assemble yourself. Garage kits are unpainted, there's a raw plastic, there's whatever the raw material is, and you would also buy the the paints and the paint brushes to paint and then assemble the garage kit. So it, it it's an activity that asks a considerable amount of the consumer to to finish it in the same almost in the same way that gun that a Gundam kit does, but on a more extreme level because you're also painting it. And so they Tanaka knows how to like make a mold. And use epoxy to like fill the mold and create garage kits. But the thing that Tanaka lacks is he lacks this. He lacks the business sense. And that's what. I should mention that there's a moment when Tanaka and Kubo are both looking for jobs. They're doing the thing you do after college and you're like in a weird middle section and you're looking for a job. And they keep getting discriminated against because of their hobbies and because of their choices, specifically of clubs. And they just, it's like, fuck it. We give up. We're not going to give up on being successful. We're going to give up on being successful at the expense of our hobby and of something we love. Which is admirable. I'm putting it a lot more um, eloquently, probably, than they did. But... So then they come to the conclusion that they want to figure out a way to make money while still being able to express their otaku... their otaku culture, basically. And... In that moment when they're like, when they've fallen, when they've fallen into the like fountain that they were waiting for the train near, they both exclaim, and this is where this is where the turn comes from, that they're that they're going to be Oda kings. Which, if you know anything about otaku culture right now, it's like being considered by everybody an Oda king in the otaku community, fairly big deal. And that is, that term comes from Otaku no Video. 
And what Tanaka and Kubo, what Kubo and Tanaka decide that is going to be their ventures, they're going to make garage kits. They're going to make custom garage kits. They're going to design the characters themselves so they have the rights. But they also said that they were going to, you know, get rights for small niche shows and mass produce them for the, for that fan for those fandoms. And a couple other people would buy them too, obviously. And that's how they would make money. And then comes the montage of them growing rapidly and like expanding beyond their wildest dreams until they're a big company. And push comes to shove, and here's where I want to stop for a second and talk about the difference between what is probably the traditional OVA release of this show and the theatrical release. Because the theatrical release is different in one way. The theatrical release is different because it's still the same kind of episodic structure, but where there would be a hard cut in the end of the episode, there's instead a interview with an actual real-world otaku. And they talk to all levels of otaku, and the thing that I was really interested in is that they give each person they talk to, and these are like live-action interviews with the people's faces blurred out because it's insane. Um, the thing they do with each interviewee is they give their years as an otaku. Now, I've talked on this show before about the fact that I didn't, I kept not doing an anime podcast because I didn't have enough of a watch list history. Of I wasn't deep enough in yet to talk about, to talk about the medium as a whole in a way that I felt it deserved. And that... can also be seen as a double-edged sword because, you know, there are lots of otaku who they're, they don't have the social end of it. And a lot of fandom, especially anime, and the reason why anime conventions are so important is because it's the outward expression of a very individual, the outward and communal expression of what really is a very solitary fandom day-to-day. You know, it's one of the reasons why, especially in America, a lot of, like, the bad hentai is experienced in group watches as a gag. I I remember when I was in um, pre-college over the summer one summer, we all went, like, I think... Yet which one of us bought it, but me and one other person in that group were 18, so we could. I think I bought it with someone else's money, actually. Um, it wasn't it wasn't my it wasn't my other friend who was 18. I, I think I'm the one who bought it. But like we bought a four-episode hentai OVA. It was something terrible. And we all went back to a friend's hotel room and we watched it. And it was hilarious and fun and weird. And, like, full of, like, deeply uncomfortable sexual tension for a bunch of fucking teenagers. As the world should be. But the the communal aspect of any kind of fandom has to start with each individual fan making the choice of, one second, Echo. Turn on perch. Has to start with um, each fan making the choice to have the, to like you know watch the thing to spend the time watching the show. So inevitably, otakus spend a lot of time by themselves, and it's one of the things that makes people think we're odd. But what? This shows in both the 
in the um, live action interviews and also the um, but especially the Otaku no video proper is it shows the humanity in it all and especially in Otaku no video the show itself it shows this like capacity to see the future because of the media they're absorbing and because of the way it looks forward into into the future constantly. And um I talked before about the um this shows like blurring of the lines between what did happen and what didn't happen, which becomes very clear at the end of it. But in the in the story, basically, Tanaka ultimately, Grand Prix grows to, like, be a global powerhouse, and they make garage kits and ship them all over the world, and they're making, like, millions of dollars, and he's the head of a company, and ultimately, his company gets, um, ruthlessly taken over by, um, by, uh, by uh, by Ueno Yoshihiko, his girlfriend, ultimately, his, his, at that point, ex-girlfriend, who had married a um, like ruthless business tycoon, and basically, you get the sense takes over his company out of spite, not because she's interested in it, but because it feels like it's to spite him, and. Kubo, as a character, represents some of the bad parts of fandom. In that, oftentimes, because any kind of extreme fan of anything is looked at as so strange, unless you're an extreme fan of something similar, The way I like to think about it is that, like, I genuinely love anime and animation as an art form, as a form of expression, and all this other stuff. But there are lots of people out in the world who don't, who don't ever find something that hits them in that same way. They don't ever find something, or, or they don't ever allow themselves to be taken wholly by an art form or a or, or anything in the way that, you know, lots of times, especially anime and pop culture fans, let themselves be taken by, you know, anime as a medium. Um, comic books, Marvel, DC, manga. It could be model plane building. Who knows? And as a result, they look at people like you listening to this and me as being weird because they don't understand, they don't understand concept, even conceptually how I could be so obsessed with cartoons from Japan, quote unquote. And, you know, yeah, they may have seen a Ghibli movie, yeah, you know. They may have looked at an ad once and been like, oh, well, that, that anime girl's kind of cute. Went past it. And what that breeds in anime, what that breeds in fans of things and in anime fans is um, mistrust. Of people who aren't like them, of of quote unquote nor- normies. So I, um, I talked about this. We talked about this actually on um, the on my in my interview with um, Taylor, aka Cosplay Fiend, which you can once again go listen to. It's the um, Sunday edition right before this episode in the podcast feed. But he. 
he had said when Attack on Titan came out, it brought Attack on Titan brought a lot of people into 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 the space of anime. And he said that his coworker would come up to him and be like, "Hey Taylor, I know you watch anime. What do you think of Attack on Titan?" And he said what I would have said. He said it's pretty good, but it's by no way unique. Here's all this other stuff you could go watch and response was like, no, this is really good. This isn't like the stuff you like. The, like, weird shit you like. And that turned him off of Attack on Titan, ultimately. And I don't blame him. I remember when I was, I probably told this story before, um, when I was in, and I told this story on, in that interview, when I was in high school, I used to read, the, like, I used to just read manga in class. I used to just read manga... Like, before class started, I would sit there and I would just read manga. And I was reading, like, the big fucking first volume of Ranma one day. And somebody, somebody who had, like, no... Who was not one of my, like, otaku friends, who was not one of my friend groups who liked, who liked anime or even loved anime, or loved anime or even liked anime... Um, just a kid I knew was like, Hey, what are you reading? I'm like, I'm reading manga. I'm reading weird shit. He, and he looked at me, he was like, no, when you, when you, when, like, I see you reading manga, I hear you talking about anime, it's cool. And, like, first off, as a person of color, that's got a whole different fucking connotation. But what he probably meant was, is, like, you don't go so far into the weeds that I can't keep up anymore. And it's one of the reasons why I felt the need, A, to do this podcast, and B, to do the, um, the panels I do, is that oftentimes... Many fans, even without knowing it, act as gatekeepers to to a fandom or to a piece of culture just because they don't back off from jargon inside baseball shit shit often enough. So I've always tended to avoid doing that to talk about to talk in a way that feels more normal than just like, well, you know, the Avas are really the pilot's mothers, and blah, 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 And that has helped people relate to my just, like, love of a thing, my raw love of a thing, more directly than having to parse through, like, what the Omegaverse is, for example, to use an example that, um, Taylor often uses. Um, but throughout the entire show, Kubo's motivation fueled, fueled by his resentment for being dumped by his girlfriend for because he was becoming an otaku, because he had found something he loved, and because he found something he wanted to like Maybe not work in one day, but, like, devote a part of his brain to constantly. And devote a lot of his brain to constantly. And that makes this ugly reality of, like, the motivation of him starting GP, a.k.a. Grand Prix, their, their garage kit company as being, like, this revenge thing. And, and, like, it even strikes Tanaka as, like, kind of stunning later. That, like, he brings it up, like, when they're standing on the top of their new giant fucking corporate office tower, and he brings it up. And Tanaka's like, oh! Okay. Sure? Um, but... Ultimately get taken away from him. And the last portion of the show, so the company that gets 
get taken from him. He gets reassigned to, like, a dead office in the middle of fucking a different snowy, sad city. And that's when him and Tanaka concoct GX. What they call in the in the um, show, the studio, the in the animation studio, Giant X. And if that sounds familiar, it's because Gynax is a abbreviation of Giant X, which stands for Giant Robot, which is why when you look at their stuff, they've got a lot of Giant Robot stuff because that's really what they grew out of as fan as a as fans of the medium. And the other thing that, but the other thing that was interesting that Tanaka said he wanted to do was he wanted to create a theme park called Tokyo Otaku Land. That was a place where you could always go as an anime fan to like exist in a place that was built by people like you for people like you. Now, um, yeah, I don't know if you've been following... I don't know if you've been following the news. But, um, Juneteenth was just, um, officially named as a federal holiday. And what that means is that a holiday that has been celebrated by black people in America for a long time is now recognized by the government, has, you know, government employees who are black get that day off. And they get to go celebrate with their family. It's an acknowledgement of, this is a real thing. We see you. In the same way that ultimately, by the end of Otaku No Video, Tokyo Otaku Land is for... A, commu- a huge community of anime fans. It is for anime fans, by anime fans. And then they do a time skip, basically, to, like, to, like, 2032, 2035, where you see Tanaka and um, Kubo scuba diving to go visit Tokyo Otaku Land. And they're, like, we did such good sin. We left our use down here with this giant robot. And they had like a big fake giant robot in, in, in the theme park. And they whole thing lights up. And they're like, what's going on? They get in the elevator. They go up to the operation cockpit of the giant robot. They go in and the entirety, the entire cat there and they're all ready to blast off and they go to the fucking moon in this thing and, or what they, what they they go into space and they look for what they call the planet of otaku and if you watch this thing like it turns into a rocket it has a head it has a rocket like a rocket point that's a drill and then you and in that moment you see things like you see things like Evangelion. You see things like, um, what's it called? Gurren Lagann. You see, you know, you see the things that would happen in the future of anime in that moment. Especially the things that would happen as a result of Gainax existing. As a result of, you know, Gainax existing long enough to give birth to to um, Trigger and Kara. But the last thing I want to talk about is a really interesting aspect of Otaku no Video, because I don't know if you followed, I, once again, I don't know if you followed the news, but Gunnath is not the company it used to be. And um, if you ask um, 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 Hideki Anno, he will definitely tell you that. And... What seems to have happened is, like, the old guard of Gynax largely emptied out, and the talent of Gynax largely was like, fuck this noise, and went and worked, and went and made either Trigger or Kara. 
And that was because Gainax started to trade so heavily on its prop on the properties like Ava, Kerkano, you know, um, FLCL certainly, all this stuff. And what ended up happening is it basically became a money laundering scenario. Um, and that's why that that's why today you can get like. Freaking Evangelion wine. There's no reason that you need to get Evangelion wine. There's even reason that you should like that you shouldn't be able to. But in the context of that company becoming like a weird fucking capitalistic shell of itself, it makes a whole lot of sense. And if you look at not a they don't the creation of Gainax is late enough in the um in the show slash and the theatrical version, as a result, um, that you don't see what becomes of Gynax. Gynax is the dream. Gynax is introduced as the dream that they achieve, not the reality that it became. But in the um, story when um, Grand Prix is about to be taken over, Tanaka gets framed for embezzling. And it's made pretty clear that all of Kubo's friends, all of Kubo's friends are framed in some way. They have something being, being held over their heads. And that ultimately happened in a big, weird way. Not exactly that way, but in a big, weird, it has a lot of similarities to what happened to Gynax and what has continued to happen to Gynax. And it's, it, it's, that struck me as interesting. And I, I, did, I had never seen Otakuno video. I'd always heard about it. It is what is responsible for shows, ultimately for shows like... Um, it's responsible for the self-reflecting nature of certain otaku-focused... Um, Shows like um, Love is Hard for an Otaku, probably less that, but it can be connected in a Kevin Bacon-like way. Definitely, if you've ever seen Genshiken, this is a very Genshiken-esque show. Um, it, it feels a lot like something like Anime Gataris. Um It feels... It even has this feel of something like that fits in the lineage because of Genshiken's direct connection to Spotted Flower, the manga Spotted Flower, if you've ever read Spotted Flower. Um, but I I watched it because I thought it would be really interesting because I thought it would be really interesting for me as a, as an as an otaku old to see it for the first time. But I also watched it because I, I knew that it would be a really interesting thing for the podcast. With that said, if you like this show, I seriously, once again, encourage you to go listen to the Cosplay Fiend interview in the Sunday edition right before this episode. Um, you will not regret it. But you can also subscribe to this podcast and whatever you listen to right now. And new episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday. Thursday night, Sunday morning, um, and the Thursday episodes are things like this, where they are um, about a show or um, or theatrical feature um, or movie rather, and the Sunday editions are more fandom focused, more industry focused, more conceptual. And on that note, I have been Alex, you can listen to Radio, and I'm. Talk to you on Monday.